Hello and happy boo year to all those celebrating this new year. Or, you know, I don't care if you celebrate it, it's still a new year. This is The Graveyard Shift, the weekly horror podcast where we take listener and guest-suggested movies and break them down into the good, the bad, and anything else we find fun and or relevant. My name is Mike, but I never work The Graveyard Shift alone. Joining me is the man who would probably be very helpful to an alien just to go along for the ride, but draw the line at sacrificing his body, John. (laughs) Hello, hello. Happy New Year. And back in the studio is the eternal, knowing, unblinking red eye of Brian Folk. Yes, that is me. Hello. And today's episode is From Russia with the Thing, because we watched The Horror Express. We did. This w- I, I watched it. <laughs> this is the first <laughs> entry in our January Lee special. That's right. We I are- get it. We're, cel- Lee. we're celebrating the life and accomplishments and the movies of Christopher Lee. <laughs> Except the man's done only about 87 different horror movies, so we had to take some random selections. Uh, we've got a lot of celebrating to do. <laughs> Better get into it. All right, we've got to start somewhere, and we're starting with this. Because I thought, hey, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing on a train. What could go wrong? <laughs> and then I watched the movie, and now I know. A lot of things went wrong. <laughs> went off the tracks, so to speak. <laughs> That's true. This movie was directed by Eugenio Martin, with screenplay by Arnaud Dussault and Julien Zemet. Story by Eugenio Martin, produced by Bernard Gordon. Cinematography by Alejandro Uloa. Edited by Robert C. Deerberg. Music by John Kakavas. Although I'm pretty sure it's the guy that did uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Who was that guy? I know it's not Sergio Aragonas because he's the guy that did the uh, illustrations for Mad Magazine. Who did? Who directed it? No, the guy that did the music. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. um, Oh, yeah. What is his name again? Oh, yeah. His famous dude. I want to Google it, but it's cheating. Uh. Oh, Ennio Morricone, that's it. Yeah, Ennio Morricone, yes. That's what I thought this was, because, you know, there's some real spaghetti western music in this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like the music. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because yeah. you heard it in Clint Eastwood movies. Well, I didn't hear, uh, I didn't hear, dun na 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 dun na na I didn't hear that. <laughs> it was the same band, but the guy's just like, can you avoid just that ref so people don't think it, so it's not that obvious. Wasn't quite, wasn't quite that memorable. Right, people won't notice as long as you don't put those cues in there, you know. You could, it'll just slip under the radar, and you know, and you keep the volume mastered at just the right level. Yep. And despite the hammer pairing of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, this was produced by Granada Films. I mean, it would have been better if it was Camp Granada Films, because then you'd have, like, Alan Sherman contributing to it. <laughs> Also, Benmar Productions and Scotia International, distributed by Regia Films Arturo Gonzalez in Spain and Gala Film Distributors in the UK. This was released in Sitges, 1972 in, of September and November of 1973 in New York. This has a runtime of 90 minutes, had a budget of $300,000 
and a box office of 755,542 admissions. And I have no idea what the fuck each ticket costs, so that's a really great way to let us know what this movie, what this made. <laughs> I mean, thank you, thank you, Wikipedia, for not giving us just a fucking dollar amount. It's like we got the ticket well, I sales. I <laughs> think I read that it was not successful in Spain, but it was successful everywhere else. Yeah, and this stars Christopher Lee as Professor Sir Alexander Saxton. So your knighthood comes after your your school credit? <laughs> well, it just showed his his position on education. <laughs> I, I'm Dr. Know. Lord Langley. Really, really the <laughs> lordship comes second? Dr. Lord. <laughs> and Peter Cushing as Dr. Wells. Alberto de Mendoza as Father Pujardov. Dubbed by Father Rieti. <laughs> Silvia Tortosa as Countess Irina Petrovsky, dubbed by Olive Gregg. Julio Peña as Inspector Mirov, dubbed by Roger Delgado. Telly Savalas as Captain Kazan. George Rigaud as Count Miriam Petrovsky. Helga Line as Natasha, dubbed by Olive Gregg. Alice Reinhardt as Miss Jones, dubbed by Olive Gregg. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Olive, Olive Gregg dubbed everybody. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even notice. She did a good job. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't <laughs> notice, all these, women, all these women sound like the same person. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Congrats on Olive I Gregg. Thought had, I thought they all had cool voices. Angel mm-hmm. Del Pozo as Yevtoshenko. Jose Haspe as Conductor Konev. Victor Israel as Baggage Man. Faith Clift as Miss Bennett. Juan Olaguivel as The Creature. Barta Berry as First Telegraphist. Hiroshi Kitatawa as Grashinsky the Thief. Vicente Roca as Station Manager. Jose Canalayas as Russian Guard. Jose Marco as Vorkin. Alan Roussel as Captain O'Hagan. Jacinto Molina, Paul Nashi as the Mad Priest. So apparently there was two Mad Priests. Because, you know, Father Pujardo was pretty off his rocker. He was uh, definitely a Mad Priest. I like that guy in the movie. Uh, his look was well, kind of awesome. Because yeah, he was just Rasputin. Yeah. Precisely. Uh, I guess so. I, I, he, was, I was, he was awesome, though. Yeah. I, I thought he was pretty yeah. wily looking. He had, I, I feel like maybe that was a it's hard to go I mean, wrong with a Rasputin. Kind of looked a little bit like evil, evil Kurt, Kurt Russell. <laughs> I, I thought he looked kind of like uh, John Travolta in Battlefield Earth. <laughs> like slightly, just I don't know. Maybe it's just like his, uh, you know, facial structure, his forehead shape, and then that hair contrast, and I could just see it a little bit. <laughs> I mean, te- teaming up with an alien threat. To the Earth, it would, might have would been from that same have, planet. You know, it did have a Scientology mm. vibe. The whole, the whole subtext of the plot, you know. I mean, the creature never named himself, but he probably would have been a, a Thetan or a Xenu. <laughs> yeah, God, imagine his Thetan level. Uh, so the basic synopsis is: if you've seen the thing, it's this, but on a train, and there's a reason for that. As we get into the trivia. The film was co-produced by American screenwriter-producer Bernard Gordon, who collaborated with Martin on the 1972 film Pancho Villa. 
which featured Savalas in the title role. Martin made Horror Express as part of a three-picture contract he had with Philip Jordan, and Savalas was under contract with Jordan as well. So that's pretty much why he showed up. The film was a co-production between Spain's Granada Films and the British company Benmar Productions, who made Psychomania in 1971. I think Psychomania is the the, uh, movie with a guy who, after making the movie, decided his career had just utterly was irredeemable and he just killed himself. Oh, no. Well, I don't know. I kind of want to watch Psychomania now. Because this movie is so good. He thought... (laughs) He figured, hey, I'm going to do a hard reset here. <laughs> hmm. But Psychomania probably doesn't have Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and Kelly Savalas all in it, though. Or does it? I am going to give it a look on Wikipedia as long as I stop seeing the fucking soundtrack showing up as the results. I mean, it's okay. got a good name. Psychomania. That's a good name. All right. Psychomania. It was released in the U.S. as The Death Wheelers. It's a 1973 British outlaw biker horror film. That sounds good. The adolescent leader of a biker gang has started practicing black magic. After meeting the frog god, which his mother worships, the leader commits suicide on his 18th birthday. His mother resurrects him as one of the undead, and the process grants superhuman abilities to the boy. He proceeds to turn most of his gang into fellow undead, but his mother petrifies them all in a magic ritual. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm watching it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds... Uh, Psychomania. Death Wheelers is a good name, too. Both good titles. Ooh, sounds like a good old Friday Night Freak Fest. Yes, so the movie starred George Sanders. And uh-huh. it said here that... Uh, so I was looking up his, uh, his final days. Uh, his fourth marriage was on December 4th, 1972, Magda Gabor, the elder sister of his second wife. Talk about keeping it in the family. Related to Zsa Gabor? Yeah, I think she was like one of the Gabor sisters. Yeah, the eldest sister, the elder sister of Zsa and Ava Gabor. Oh, nice. So he traded up, apparently. And the marriage only lasted 32 days, after which he began drinking heavily. (laughs) Oh, no. I don't know if it was the the advice of uh, Leslie Nielsen from Airplane. Like in the Star Trek board, you yeah, will be assimilated, darling. <laughs> that would be a good. That's a good parody. Somebody should have made that at some point. <laughs> so it says here, even before his dementia, Sanders had grown increasingly reclusive and depressed due to a string of tragedies, including the death hey. of his third wife, his mother, and his brother Tom, in the space of a year. By the way, that's a, that would be a good skit, you know, Jaja the Borg. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now you got a skit to do. Yeah, I just have to figure out what movie to apply it to. (laughs) Uh, So this was followed by a failed investment, which cost him millions. Before his dementia diagnosis, he got a quick divorce from his fourth wife, and he also had a minor stroke. He could not bear the prospect of losing his health or needing the help to carry out everyday tasks, and he became depressed. About this time, he found he could no longer play his grand piano, so he dragged it outside and smashed it with an axe. Okay. Wait, can I ask a question? Uh, Who are we talking about again? I'm lost. Uh, George Sanders, the star of Psychomania. The star of Psychomania, okay. Yeah, the lead actor in Psychomania. I didn't expect to learn so much about him. Well, it's just because this uh, mentioned Psychomania. I'm just like, oh yeah, that that starred the guy that killed himself, right? Oh yeah, that's that's too bad. So his last girlfriend, whom he had an on-off relationship with the last four years, convinced him to sell his house, which he later regretted. 
And then when 19, in April 23rd, 1972, he checked into a hotel near Barcelona where he phoned his friend George Mikkel two days after swallowing the contents of five bottles of barbiturates Nembatol. He died of cardiac arrest and he left a note saying, I'm leaving because I'm bored. I feel I lived long enough. I'm leaving you with your worries in this sweet cesspool. Good luck. Well, that's a pretty good suicide note. Damn. You be proud of that. How punk rock. Good for, um, good for him, I guess. Yeah, the man lived and died deliciously. <laughs> I guess so. Well, George Sanders. Well, we should honor him by watching Psychomania, I feel. Definitely. we got to remember to put that on the list. <laughs> so. We got our psycho back, guys. <laughs> I watched this one, though. Was he involved with this one? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I didn't see him in the list. So if he did, he was uncredited. He probably oh, just well. showed up, hey? I'm just here hiding from my new wife. This was a good one, too. So, according to Martin, the film was made because a producer obtained a train set from Nicholas and Alexandra. He came up with the idea of writing a script just so he would be able to use this prop, said Martin. Now, at that time, Phil was in the habit of buying up loads of short stories to adapt into screenplays. And the story for Horror Express was originally based on a tale written by a little-known American scriptwriter and playwright. You know, that person just happened to be John W. Campbell, and the story was Who Goes There, the basis of the thing. Oh, shit. Rumors that the train set were acquired from the production of Dr. Zhivago was refuted by Gordon, who said in a 2000 interview, the model was constructed for the feature film Pancho Villa. Filmmakers used the mock-up from Pancho Villa as the interior for all train cars during production. Since no further room was available on stage, all scenes within each train car were shot consecutively. The set was then modified for the next car scene. And Horror Express was filmed in Madrid between 1971 and 1972. And uh, it was on a low budget of $300,000 with the luxury of having three familiar genre actors in the lead roles. And the filming began in December of 1971. Now, securing Lee and Cushing was a coup for Gordon, since it lent the atmosphere reminiscent of the Howard Hammer films. When Cushing arrived in Madrid to work on the picture, however, he was still grieving his wife. And he announced to Gordon that he could not do the film. Now, Gordon was basically shitting bricks at this point. So, desperate over losing the idea of one of his stars, Lee stepped in and put Cushing at ease simply by talking to his old friend about the, their previous work together. You know, like, I guess, like, the only thing that will get you through this is, you know, old times and good company, and I can give you both. So stay with me. And the guy's like, okay. Which is, you know, beautiful and touching, because it just goes to show how Lee will step up for a film. Uh, sounds like they uh, got along pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we already know he promoted a movie that he basically did, took no money for. You know, he, he, I think he promoted a lot with his own money. Um, was it The Wicker Man? Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah The Wicker Man was made for almost did. nothing. And yeah. he just he just did it for the fun because he loved the role. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty awesome. He, well, he got with his old buddy Peter and he was like, hey, man, remember all those cool movies where, you know, you stabbed me through the heart and I got pushed off a building on fire, you know? Hey. <laughs> Remember that time you wrong. killed me with candlesticks? Good times. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. that. Let's, let's do it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except, maybe, and they maybe, did. except maybe you don't kill me. 
Well, I'll, I'll try, but old habits. Maybe if somebody else will kill time, you. <laughs> and I get to be more of a pompous ass in this. <laughs> Plus, I get to grow a six stash. <laughs> yes. I'll, everybody in the movie had a cool mustache. Like, almost everybody. There's so many strong mustaches in the movie. It's a very strong mustache very movie. Very classy <laughs> type mustache. Well, it's made in Spanish. Classy mustaches. Yeah. It is a Spanish movie, so of course you you know they're not going to tolerate bare faces and weak stashes. 1970s Spain. It was a law that you had to have a mustache, right? Is that right? Well, I think even if you were clean shaved, as soon as you hear that ding, 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 the whiskers just start twitching and growing out. Just going there, you would grow <laughs> a mustache three times as fast. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So, the train's departure scene was filmed in Madrid's Delicias Railway Station. The locomotive pulling the train in that scene is a Renf 141F. Later in the film, miniatures are utilized for the exterior shots of the train going by camera, and for the film's climax. Like all Italian and Spanish films of the period, Horror Express was filmed mostly without sound, with the effects and voices dubbed for the film in post-production, and boy it showed. Lee, Cushing, and Savalas all provided their own voices for the English-speaking version. And the film was used as a virtual reality experience for the 2021 television show Creepshow, Season 2, Episode 5, Night of the Living Late Show. In that episode, the film is the favorite of inventor Simon Sherman, portrayed by Justin Long, who had it placed as one of the interactive features in his VR invention called the Immersopod. While archive footage of Christopher Lee and Cushing are used in the episode, Hannah Fireman portrays her rendition of Countess Irina Petrovsky, with whom Simon begins a relationship since he had a crush on her since he was a young boy. You know, be, pretty interesting. Being Justin Long in a horror movie, I'm sure it went well for him. Yeah. Oh, he had a happy ending, absolutely. <laughs> so they were they were fans of Horror Express, I guess. Well, at least they were fans of Justin Long being a fan of Horror Express. <laughs> so, uh, since this is a tribute month, I'm going to do a little bit on the life of Christopher Lee. And we're going to be breaking this up in segments, so you don't have to worry about like a nice 40-minute history dump. That'll be spread out among the four episodes, so it'll be like a 10-minute history dump. So, Lee was born on the 27th of May, 1922, in Belgravia, London. He was the son of Lieutenant Colonel Geoffrey Trollope Lee of the 60th King's Royal Rifle Corps, and his wife, Countess Estelle Marie Ni Carandini di Sarzano. Lee's father fought in the Boer War and First World War, and his mother was an Edwardian beauty who was painted by Sir John Lavery, Oswald Burlev, and Olive Snell, and sculpted by Claire Sheridan. Lee's maternal great-grandfather, Jerome Carandini, the Marquis of Sorzano, was an Italian political refugee, and Lee's great-grandmother was an English-born opera singer, and he, held an, he had an elder sister, Zandra Carandini Lee. Lee's parents separated when he was four, and they divorced two years later. During this time, his mother took his sister and him to Wengen in Switzerland. After enrolling in Miss Fitcher's Academy in Tarotet, he played his first role as Rumpelstiltskin. They then returned to London where Lee attended the Wagner's private school in Queensgate and his mother married Harcourt George St. Croix Rose, a banker and the uncle of Ian Fleming, the author of the James Bond novels. Whoa. So Lee, so he became nice. Christopher Lee's step-cousin. The family moved to Fulham, living next door to the actor Eric Maturin. 
And one night he was introduced to Prince Yusupov and Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, the assassins of Grigory Rasputin, whom Lee would play many years later. So talk about fucking method research. It's like, hey, just as a thing, how was this guy you killed? What was he like as a person? What made you want to kill him? How many people get to talk to a fucking assassins? I bet he probably worked as an assassin for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just not part of the uh, Wikipedia article, though. <laughs> no, but I just love Peter Jackson's story. Like, that's when he when he stopped him to, uh, when he was making a comment during the filming of Lord of the Rings. He's like, by the way, that's not the sound a man makes when he's stabbed in the back. Uh, <laughs> how would you know that? Well, let's just say I did some things in the war. <laughs> There's a really funny music video on YouTube somewhere where like Mr. where Christopher Lee is they got him as a, on the video to sing I spilled the blood of a Saxon man. It's a very funny video. Huh, I didn't know about that. I know about the I wizard's spilled dream. blood of Saxon man. That's, <laughs> I think that's what I think that's what the song is called. <laughs> I do know that he did a song called Pick Your Poison where he tries to tempt a superhero to drink to get off the uh, sobriety. Okay. Sounds effective. Yeah, because he was in because Christopher Lee was in a superhero musical because this man fucking lived. I'm not surprised. I'm so, I'm sure there's multiple of those. So, his mother separated from Rose, and Lee had to get a job. His sister already worked as a secretary for the Church of England Pension Board. With most employers on or preparing to go to those summer holidays, there was no immediate jobs for Lee. So he just decided to cruise the French Riviera where his sister was on a holidays with friends. You know, as you do. It's like, I can't get a job, so I'm just going to bum around the French Riviera. <laughs> On his way there, he stopped briefly in Paris, where he stayed with the journalist Webb Miller, a friend of Rose, and he witnessed Eugene Weldman's execution by guillotine. The last public execution performed in France. You know, because if you're stopping by in France and they're announcing, hey, we're going to have, we're going to chop a dude's head off in public. You got to check that out. If they're announcing, oh, we're about to do the last execution <laughs> ever. Like, so everyone, make sure you want to check this one out. Big blow on executions. This is Choppy's farewell tour. Like, Half off on ticket sales. It's like, baby, this is a social event of the season. You want to see all the cute girls going to be out of this, all right? You know? All the ladies with the bustiers and the fans. and <laughs> Right. Oh, she's, and, and arriving in Menton, he stayed with the Russian Masarov family, living ex, living among exiled princes. <laughs> Even before the guy did anything awesome, he was just always living fucking awesome. It's like, yeah, I'm just hanging out in a hostel with some exiled princes. He lived a life. I think he was, you know, he started off as like a troubadour, you know, already early in his career. You knew he was just destined to, for greatness and drama. Uh, after he spent his time being a badass in the war. Uh, so, he uh, it was arranged that he would return home, but with Europe on the brink of war, instead of going back with his sister, he uh, returned to London instead. He then worked as an office clerk for the United States lines, taking care of the mail and running errands, and then the World War II started, and we will cover that uh, next time where his rise to awesomeness and badassery truly begins. And we will hopefully get some great war stories. Yeah, as we get another chapter of Canterbury Tales. 
next time on Dragon Ball Lee. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be that would be fucking cool, especially if like he was like Fr- Frieza in his final form. I'd watch that. <laughs> you filthy Saiyan monkey! <laughs> I destroyed your planet. <laughs> By the way, Where's Vegeta, die. <laughs> but with that out of the way for now, we can begin with the goods. And we always start with me, and I have to say my first good is Horror Express with special guest star Rasputin. Because we get a fucking bushy Looney Tunes priest just giving dark prophecies of doom and shit. And you know. I, I appreciate a good doomsayer in a horror movie. Yeah, Especially but- if they linger. It's not just the old man going, you're gonna die! It's like, no, no, no. He, he's along for the ride, literally. So he's gonna constantly remind you that his darkness on this train. Yeah, he becomes the fer- perfect like conduit vessel for the, uh, for the alien or whatever. The cave alien great- thing. I don't know. <laughs> He has a great look. He has a great look. I, yeah. I believe we said before, uh, kind of like I said, like an evil, crazed Kurt Russell. That's what he reminded me of. <laughs> Again, you know, Kurt Russell like at the end of the connection. thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is appropriate, you know. But, oh, yeah, such a great look. Yeah. Everybody he, in the movie kind of does that. Do you think Kurt Russell adopted his look because, you know, he basically well, based it off the previous thing movie? Yeah, I think yeah. that that's <laughs> Which it. Which was this? Was, it's, well, this even movie. The, yeah, even him with the red eyes and stuff going on towards the end. And he, it almost looked like some shit that you would see in Big Trouble in Little China, you know? <laughs> so, yep, classic genre movies. Yep. So, uh, Brian, what is your first good? Oh, boy, besides everything? Hmm. Uh, um, well, you know, it's it's got... Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas all in one movie. And um, that's a lot of good. That's a lot of good right there. Um, Very. I mean, they're all good in it. You know, uh, Christopher Lee is particularly good as the the uh, the atheist dude, scientist, who is the one who started it all. Yeah. And Peter Cushing is great as just like a an understated sleaziness as he like br- as he bribes his way around everything in the movie. Yeah, he's oh, pretty yeah. understated in the movie. What, what, what oh, was great he, little was funny this? one-liners in this too. What was he again? I uh, doctor. But oh, he's a doctor, right? I I don't know why he just like met him and he just hung around with him because he just I guess he just thought the tall guy with the rock was interesting. Because you know though when. In in all worlds, when Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing get together, they just know that they belong together. Yeah, it's an attraction. You know, it doesn't matter. They just, there needs to be no explanation. Yeah, and Telly Savalas was just great as like a, a drunk Russian who's just like I'm, I will stab and shoot anyone who pisses me off. Right. He yeah, was like entertaining. Um, he had he had a lot of energy like uh, from Frank from Blue Velvet. Yeah, like just a man yeah. who's surrounded by people. So his power comes from the fact that e- even if you thought you could take him on personally, he's got too many people with him. So he's always an authority with malevolence. So he always had that that you know you can't fuck with him because you're gonna you're gonna get fucking rolled. So he just had that menace to him. I think one of I my love f- I love Telly Savalas. <laughs> 
He's so charismatic. He's so charismatic in like in everything that he's in that you just want to watch. Doesn't you want to watch him do anything? Or I do. Just he's he's got so much charm and you know and even when he's like a crazed Russian, he's you know you know threatening and killing people. You just you just love the guy. Yeah, you just can't help it. Yeah. He's so lovable. He's got so much room for activities. Especially like the first scene you get him, he's like behind this wood, and I'm like, is he hiding in a fucking crate for some reason? And then you see like a woman behind his shoulder, and I'm like, oh, uh, it was a little, shag, <laughs> it was a little shagpadsky. Yeah, he was hiding in a crate with his woman. Yeah, you know, it is the only place where you can find hiding spot. You make sure you bring woman with you. <laughs> we were playing hide the blinds. <laughs> That was pretty wild how they just, like, the way he comes into the movies, they just, like, open a box in, like, one of the cars, and he just comes out, and he's like, oh, I'm the, was he, he was the, he was the security guy, or what was I think he was, like, the lead Cossack. Cossack. He just popped popped out of a box to take control of the the train. That's pretty wild. If it were a sitcom right there, it would have been right there, like, all, like, it would have cued, like, the clap. You know, everyone's like, yeah. You know, it's like, look, <laughs> as soon as they recognize it, like, hey, look, kids, it's Telly Zavala's, you know. Hey, give like a, a little pause so the audience would die down. Entrance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he fucking needed, the Kramer entrance. Right. As soon as, soon as, as, soon as like, uh, Peter Cushinger is walking towards the door, it just bursts open and he slides in. I applauded. <laughs> So, John, what is your next good? Or first good? Uh, well, first good, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think I agree. A lot. The cast is great in this. I mean, you know, it need not mention you got Lee and Cushing together. It's just effortless chemistry. Um, and then I also enjoyed uh, a more minor character. I think this was Alice Reinhardt's character. I guess whoever Peter Cushing's assistant was. Um, she had this funny one-liner. I remember writing this down. Where, uh, oh yeah, the one that looked like Angela Lansbury. Yes, yes, exactly. You know who I'm talking about. And oh yeah, I have it. Is, I have it. She's kind when, of funny. yeah. When Peter Cushing is like being asked to go look at, uh, go check on, you know, do the autopsy on the second body that they find, and you know, he he goes to ask for help. He's like, I need your assistance. He's like, and she says. Well, while at your age, I'm not surprised you would. She's like, no, with the autopsy. <laughs> oh yeah, she has a funny, she has a weird line there. Yeah, yeah. I think because she That's looked kinda, at the woman, and I'm just like, well, what? Did she? Did she was she, was she carrying she Viagra? She was insinuating, yeah, or like that he was going to need help peeing or something because you know she's basically saying you know because you're old. <laughs> they like, were doing well, your age. Like I'm a, not surprised you need assistance. He's like, no, I meant the, with the, the autopsy. <laughs> we're doing kind of like a Doctor Ruth thing. Yeah. Yep, and I guess I, don't I, know. I think there's a couple I, I did just forget to jot down the details, but there are a lot of other like little funny one-liners in this. Um, well, I think we're one where they're just like, "Doesn't like monster," and like I think it was Cushing. I turned around, he goes, "Monster, we're British." Yes, yes, yes right. Yeah, I remember that. Too. Yeah, no, I remember that too. Um, it, it, I think I, I enjoyed a bit of the. Um, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek at times too. There's quite a bit of uh, making fun of British people in the movie. Yes. A little little light fun. 
Yeah, you got Lee and Cushing, who are you know obviously veterans from Hammer films and um, coming into this, but like you know, it's yeah, I don't know. It's a movie. It's a little more uh, yeah, tongue in cheek than like a Hammer film, for example. You know, it felt like more of a B movie. Yeah, and uh, my next good was. Uh, Boy, that priest really switches loyalties quickly. You know, God, probably real, so I'll speak for him. Oh, wait, Satan is absolutely real? Well, sign me up, motherfucker. Yeah. He gets seduced seduced by the dark side. He just goes to whoever, he just goes for whatever is the strongest slash realist. Yeah, like like any, uh, you know, power-hungry person using religion as a vehicle for it, you know? He was a little he was a little seedy to begin with. Oh yeah. But but just to see the extent of it, it was just like, oh, I, I stand on the side of God. And then he's just like, yeah, but Satan is actually reeling on this train. Well, God, God let me serve you. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you're a fucking mega simp, alright? Calm down. Yeah, I think, you know, just the subtext here with the plot, it's definitely he's got a a bit of a a dig at the religion, you know, because you have your, your two protagonists uh, are basically both men of science. Yeah, and it shows how people science are religious. And worldliness. Just, uh, yeah, and I'm how... I'm pretty sure that based on the way that character looked, they were just like, uh, he's got to be, he's got to turn evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, who would have thought the Rasputin-looking guy turned out not to be very stable or this good? This guy needs mm-hmm. to be evil. He needs to start out good and then quote good and then turn evil. Uh, so, but he was creepy from the beginning, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. He definitely carried the creep factor, especially when he's just, like, cruising around the uh, the cabin with the Count and the Countess, and he's just giving the eye to the woman, and it's like, oh, yeah, we can definitely tell there's there's some lust in his heart. Oh, Super man, fringe, you know, and nobody noticing the red flags, you know. There's the, there's When, when Telly Savalas was running around and terrorizing people, I was like a really funny scene between him and that dude, the crazy priest, where the crazy priest is like, you know, it's like, Satan is real, you'll feel his wrath. And then Telly Swallows just like looks at him for like about half a minute without saying anything. <laughs> and then he just like kisses the cross, grabs it from him, and then just like slaps him down or something. Well, because all the Russians are just like, the priest, he gives us the evil eye. This is so and funny. he's like, like oh, the, the evil eye. Ooh, I, <laughs> I am so scared. And everything as he reacts to it is just so funny. Yeah, there's a couple of funny scenes where, uh, I, I don't know, like people are talking and then like, I, I remember at one point the priest is just sort of standing in the corner like awkwardly, like he's like trying to hide, but he's clearly visible. Like it's such a weird point of the shot where he's just hanging around like total, uh, just, I don't know, looking like Littlefinger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brian, what's your next good? Oh boy, let's see. Uh, I I liked all the. So, I mean, we mentioned Telly Sabalis and you know, like the the main dudes. I like I liked all the characters in the movie. I like the the lady characters. I like the lady spy. There was a lady spy, and she gets killed. Oh, you know, another good. Wait, I'll, I'll just mention two goods because I can be greedy, right? Yeah, I have a lot of goods. I gotta get them all out. So, actually, first of all, because I was thinking about how the lady spy dies. I was thinking how they all die, um, with like blood, like coming out of their mouth and eyes and like that that is so that's such a cool image i like the way that um 
they do like they film the death scenes like they kind of like with these like weird camera edits and and then it's like a split, it's like a appearing. split second shot in a dark room as they lean back with blood on, with blood on their eyelids. Yeah, just like well, there's like these like little half, you know, couple second cuts, and then you know more blood appears, and then they've got the like the Scalera contacts on. I thought they just cut out the baskets from egg cartons and put them on their eyes. <laughs> they're from they're probably Scalera contacts. I don't know, uh, like an Evil Dead. But um, they really stood out. Like those things had like big bulges on them. Like it didn't oh, look yeah. like contact lenses. It looked like they just put, like they just cut like little ping pong balls and put the ends on their on their eyes, and that's it. <laughs> that's how, I think that's how the older ones looked. I don't know. I don't know actually. It just but, kept reminding uh, me of uh, like you know landing on the surface of, on top of a. <laughs> it did look like sweet that. Yeah, potato yeah. casserole. You know, they did really stand out. It's like they got sucked out onto the surface of Mars. <laughs> really cool uh the uh the way that they did like the the, de- the death scenes was really cool uh i like the both of the lady characters this this female spy and the countess i couldn't tell I them apart I, <laughs> oh i could, uh you know i actually got i did kind of mix them up too i did i, I, I for, for a second i didn't, I didn't even know there was a spy characters. i just thought oh why is the countess yeah. in there oh she's a spy yeah. well you don't find yeah. out she's a spy until she's a more but yeah, she looks like a spy. Even more kind of ties into your theme there, the title of it, uh, From Russia With Love. Because, again, it's like, yeah, involving a spy on a train. Yeah. Oh, sure. Funny yeah, you mentioned that, because I actually just watched that over when I was uh, home for uh, at my parents' place for Thanksgiving. We actually watched a couple Bond movies, and that was one of the From Russia With Love? From Russia oh, With that's Love. My, that's, my, that's my favorite one. Oh, really? Nice. Uh-huh. It's, it's a good one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I'm not sure what my all-time favorite one would be, but uh, yeah, that one's a classic. I think that's the mm-hmm. second one, if I recall correctly. It is the second one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know my Bond movies. Okay, so John, what's your next good? Um, I, I like the, you know, I think the creature effects were okay, considering. I mean, this is like a, seem like a low budget movie from the 70s um a couple cool shots with like you know when he had like a single red eye um yeah i guess when he was in his more animalistic form um and you know even when he was in evil rasputin form uh that was also a cool iteration of it um i i think i also just (laughs) it's kind of batshit stupid but also kind of a fun idea though just the whole idea of how he just absorbs brains by just looking at him really hard it honestly it feels like this could have been an inspiration for with and Cronenberg he steals their with memories scanners and shit and him right. st- he, remember that him stealing the memories smooths their brains oh and it smooths yeah. their brain yeah it like completely like erased <laughs> the makes that it turns really them into koalas and then he could turn them into yeah <laughs> Because <laughs> it's the wrinkles in your brains that store the data. Yeah, and, and apparently knowledge is apparently there's like a uh, a needle in the top of your skull that carves the knowledge into your brain. That's what gives it the folds. Oh yeah, well, because right, knowledge exactly. is pressed into it like you're fucking jamming your fingers in dough. Somebody doing calligraphy on my head, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just man. What they what they thought honestly. science was in the seventies was wild. Well, it's it's. It's if like okay, you're trying to do the thing, but you don't have the budget for all the creature effects. Think, so you basically I don't think any scientists were. I'm going to make a wild guess that no scientists were consulted in the writing of the movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. 
But that is kind of what makes it great, though. I mean, in some ways, you didn't right. limit yourself, you know, by too many of those facts, you know, to make that. It but kills, it strips all I, the fun I, away, you know. It's I'm like, pretty sure that it's, it's like, based on, like, a, a much older story from, like, the 1900s also. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who knows how faithful it is to that? Because it's also a period piece takes place in the 1900s. Yes. I mean, it's bound to definitely be definitely inspired by um multiple things honestly you know i can almost see it being some kind of weird like skinwalker iteration you know like a twist on this uh but um did he ever use the knowledge that he gained from other people like when he's jammed the uh when he was taking out the russian spy did he suddenly know or demonstrate uh you know making contact with her handler or anything nope, not really no. so i mean other than the fact that like he's able to like sort of semi-convincingly imitate the people that he's uh taken over then other than that not now he doesn't really actually use the skills and not have like any blatant movie moments like that yeah because that would be great if he actually you know uh you know exercised these knowledge and memories that were so focally focused on the movie and you know mentioned several times Yes, like, uh, I don't know, it almost starts to become like the movie Limitless, you know, <laughs> um, or, um, I don't know, yeah, at least, you know, that wasn't explored very much in the movie, they didn't really go too much into how it's, like, becoming a sort of hive mind, no. I guess. That was probably, yeah, I don't think the movie was, it wasn't really, it was not aspiring to be that clever. No. but They uh, only mentioned I, it I believe, a bunch of times, has, so you I think it the was. Well, well, the original idea was supposed to be that, like, he he wanted to gain the knowledge of people that would help him rebuild his spaceship. That's why he was asking about um, the one uh, rocket scientist. Yeah. Like, that was his goal was to go uh, absorb the brains of a rocket scientist so he could, like, rebuild his, his rocket to escape. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Because apparently uh, his people, because apparently he didn't know how to build a rocket when he was originally in space. He's like many of us. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand the technology that that, that he uses. <laughs> True. He's like most he may of have us. been a passenger on the bus, not the. Just, yeah, you don't have to be a mechanic to drive a bus. <laughs> he might have just started off as like a couple cells of bacteria in a petri dish that was sent off to a planet that was supposed to grow into evolve like a little seed, and then you know, basically it goes through its own growth process, but eventually it has some kind of uh, prerogative that's instilled into it, like in its genetic code, but it still is essentially just coming like, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's like a million year process of becoming I, I just love vertebrate into. I, I loved how he was trying to tell Lee, you know, if you spare me, I will give you knowledge, medicine knowledge, <laughs> and, and science. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know how to build a fucking rocket. <laughs> and plus, you were frozen for millions of years. Your knowledge is about three Jurassic periods <laughs> out of date. <laughs> it's like your knowledge, your knowledge, your knowledge is three was just, Jurassic parks out of date. Yeah. What do yeah. you even know? Well, see, I think he's you using even somebody else's rhetoric at that point you yeah, know your knowledge like your what's... knowledge is dinosaurs were scary yeah <laughs> we already knew that idiot yeah, yeah. Well, dinosaurs are scary <laughs> unless you become one then he's everything fucking the, rocks he's channeling the crazy religious guy right there you know <laughs> yeah oh so you know what occurs to me is it's funny is that, you know 
You know why, like, the they had they did the thing with the brains getting smooth as he sucked as he absorbs the knowledge out. Like from a from a screenwriter's perspective, do you, you know why they did that? To show the absence of intelligence that would be so, left. So that so that so that um, Christopher Lee can do an autopsy on the brain, and he could they, they could have some way to communicate that he found out that he was sucking away knowledge. Because like, how else would you do that? He like so the way he finds out is he like does an autopsy. He's like the brain is smooth, and he's like mm-hmm. he must be sucking away knowledge from the brain. <laughs> that was their way to that was their way to communicate that. Yeah, which is pretty funny. Yeah, it's like oh, that's hilarious. Digitally represent that, and they have again a limited budget. Um, how, how can we represent that the knowledge is getting drained from the brain? Because they're corpses, so we can't have them be done. Well, the, the wrinkles, wrinkles. The wrinkles right? is how his data is stored. It smooths the wrinkles. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, it's like you know yeah, we have ticket. thoughts because God goes in and massages our brain and makes biscuits in them. You know? <laughs> It would, it would, otherwise, it would be pretty challenging to come up with some reason why you could look at a, he could just like cut open somebody's head, look at the brain, be like, oh yeah, the, the memories are being stored. Yeah, the sewing, the sewing a, machine needle on the roof a, of our skull that, that presses the knowledge tough, into our brains. That would yeah. be a tough one to come up with, otherwise, especially in the 1900s. <laughs> it's like you just you like you just like the Flintstones. You got a little dinosaur on the top of your skull. With a little chisel and a hammer, every time you learn something, he just bangs it in there. <laughs> then looks at the camera. Oh, that's a living. <laughs> okay, so John, what's your next good? Uh, well, I guess I don't know. Really, kind of nailed a lot of my stuff more generally. Um, <laughs> yeah. I that was totally unintended there. Um I guess I don't really have too much else to say about it though. Um yeah, I kinda nailed out my I, I I don't know, I didn't have too many specific notes on it. Just um I didn't I'm out of goods too. Yeah. <laughs> it was you know, it, it was enjoyable, but nothing real there weren't too many things that's you know, stuck out uh stood out to me that deserve its own point. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so I'm all out of goods. John's all out of goods. Brian, do you have any more goods? Uh, I, got, I don't know. Maybe like, probably like 10 more. <laughs> just, just 10 more. 10 more, know. okay. Yeah, the, the music in the movie is pretty good. Uh, I guess, you know, like it's, it's kind of, it's, en, it's Ennio Morricone-ish. But it's, it's not actually Ennio Morricone, is it? No, it's just some Spanish guy. It kind of sounds like that. Yeah, it's a guy uh, whose name begins with Kaka. <laughs> right. But right, the music yeah. was not Kaka. No, it was pretty good. Um, you know, it's it's a like a pretty fast moving movie. Uh, the, the dialogue is pretty entertaining. All the like, just you know, little allusions to um, uh, religion, you know, religious religious versus science conflict. I, I like that the movie starts out with a dude um, with with Christopher Lee, who is the you know this the scientist. And the atheist of the movie, like, kind of starts out as the skeptic asshole, and you know, and like the priest dude draws a, a cross on the box with chalk, but it doesn't it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. Christopher is like, "That's nonsense," you know. Yep. So it's like Christ, he's using like it's almost like he's using like a, you know some Christian magic there. But 
Like the movie just kind of forgets about that. And then Christopher Lee just kind of becomes the hero pretty quickly. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It doesn't really, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun that it like, he plays with that stuff, but doesn't, doesn't really care about that. It's not important. Sure. Um, Christopher Lee is, uh, he's quite, uh, I mean, he's Christopher Lee, you know, um, he settles into, he can kind of, he can, he can transition smoothly from being like an asshole to super charming main dude that you want to follow. Sure. Um, I enjoyed the female characters. They're very like the spy and the countess. I like, I like the casting of them. Very, 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 uh, very beautiful female characters. Oh yeah, um, oh, they were good the in their. They were good. Ooh. The Countess, I like yeah. the Countess. Sylvia Tors- Tortosa, yes, she was. Uh, I like the uh, quite a one thing that. Too. Oh yeah, one thing that um, you know I, I think about when I go back to watch these like older movies, and I guess this is a period piece as well. Is like like um, it's like the the when you have like female characters like the Countess is like this this like elegance you know to like their performance that is kind of it's just kind of I don't know it's kind of really nice. Yeah, kind of that old school like that, classiness. That old school classiness. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's kind of it's, it's like refreshing in a way. Yeah, it's like well, and you don't really get you don't really get that anymore. Definitely. So, well, I think it's I that enjoyed kind of that swagger too. That like you know from the male side of things, it's like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing kind of carry that old school swagger. Or Telly Savalas. Oh like, yeah, Telly Savalas. Swagger is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. like just and, the raw charisma. The yeah. raw charisma. And the men and that women just, like have that sort of. I don't know. There's this cool style, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I guess you know. I, and like a side note, it makes me wish that there was. I think one thing that's kind of lost for like younger people today is like having like cool events where you can go out and really dress like formal, like you know the zoot suit thing. I mean, that's true. Yeah, I guess there are like there's like electro swing and that kind of stuff, but I don't know. You know, it's 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 a vibe. I don't know. I, uh, I, it is. It is yeah, a vibe, it's indeed, a vibe. and it's yeah. It well, I mean, in old any case, school like, cool. Let's put it that way. As I look at it, it is, and this that's one thing that's just like it's preserved in the older movies. So this yeah. is a nice thing about watching them. It's just I, I enjoy it. It's like it's just it's always got that element of time travel too. It's just like you know, whenever you like go back in time to like you know, you see how people acted different and uh, dressed different and experience what's cool about that. That's cool about all old movies. Why it's it's fun to go back to old movies like this. Yeah, um, definitely. Let's see, what else is positive about this movie? I mean, it's just it's just very entertaining in general. Like it has no slow spots. I would say. Yeah. Um. Like as a just like a general B movie. Like I mean, mostly because like the cast is so good. Um. It really just does. It just keeps moving. It has doesn't really have slow spots. It. Mm. The plot moves at like a normal pace, um, and it's just always entertaining up to the very end. It has a pretty decent climax. It's got essentially like it ends up having zombies in a train, so it's like a sort of like a uh, um, a light version of a zombie movie. Yeah. I saw this movie. I saw this movie like uh, I think I saw it a couple decades ago for the first time. Like just from like looking for just like looking up different zombie movies. Like, that's where I first heard about it. Like, oh, this is Zombies on a Train. Yeah. And uh, it was, it, I really it, that was before I, like, really got into older movies that much. Mm. But uh, this one I was able to get into. So I think it's pretty accessible. Uh, as a Hammer movie, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's, 
it's it's very it's very entertaining. Or a People should Granada Pictures movie. <laughs> yeah, if it was a oh, Hammer well, movie, there'd be a lot more cleavage in it. <laughs> there, that's uh, true, and that wouldn't actually be a down. That wouldn't be a, a downgrade. But uh, you know, it's 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 fine as it is. It's got enough. And the got, special just, effects just, would be just, a bit better. Like there'd be there'd be better blood it in it. Yeah, special effects are really not bad though. They were good enough for the movie. Yeah. Uh, I it, it also I didn't I'm help done. that the uh, the the cut the cut that I got was like a like one that would probably fit mm. on a CD in terms of file size. So the resolution wasn't great. The color was mm. it, a whole lot of it was dark and hard to see. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I yeah, just watched, watched it on Amazon. It didn't seem. It did seem a little bit dark, but not bothersome. I, I watched it through Plex on demand, so it had ads with it, but it seemed like the quality, picture oh. quality was pretty smooth. Um, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. What do I, I didn't watch it on Amazon. I watched it on Tubi. I watched it on Tubi. Huh. This is a pretty good place to watch stuff these days. Maybe I just have a shitty version of it, in which case the bad is me. Yep. What if I am the bad? What if we're the baddies? <laughs> that would be quite a twist. What a twist. So, if we're all done with the goods, then we can get I on. I think so. We can get on with I, the I exhausted. Bads. I exhausted most of the the general goods. I might think of more later. <laughs> so, we start with the bads, and we don't start the bads with me. So, Brian, what was your first bad? I don't. There's there's no bads. <laughs> there are no bads. There's just no there's no bads. I mean, maybe maybe I I could say if you know it'd be better if there was more te- Telly Savalas, like lack of not enough Telly Savalas. Lack of Savalas was one of my bads. <laughs> oh, is that one of yours? I stole it. Sorry, that's all I could think of. <laughs> Because just he's, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, like it's, it's quite kind of cool that he just where you're he's so memorable <laughs> in the movie, just like from his little role that you, like you don't, almost don't need more, but more. But then again, more is always good, right? So, <laughs> yeah, Telly was quite jelly. He didn't get more <laughs> time. <laughs> um. Well, okay. I guess you know one thing I could say is. Um, well, get maybe they weren't going for a very serious tone with this, but I feel like everything was too well lit. Uh, generally, in the movie, I, I would have liked to actually see things like graded a little more darker. I don't know; it might have. Fit, would you have just said that. everything was too dark. <laughs> I know Mike's did, but I actually felt like the way I was watching it is almost. I feel like just from a dramatic standpoint, it, it might have made things a little spookier. I think considering the plot, um, so I, I think because of how well lit a lot of stuff is, it it fed into that comical tone, which I guess that works fine too. But I guess if I'm thinking it in terms of a, I'm not saying they intended to be that comical though with it. Like it had some comedy, but um, I think that would have made it a little more spooky and fed the atmosphere. Um, yeah, so yeah, just. But more of a minor critique, and you know, um, and but yeah, yeah, that's just one I had there. So, what do you got, Mike? 
Okay, well, my first bad is a demon fossil caveman knows how to pick a lock, knows how to lock pick. <laughs> I mean, why not just break it open if it's a demon? It's like, well, I guess, was he already supposed to absorb any brains up to that point? No. No, he um, was already picking the lock by the time the baggage man came to him, so. It, it just would have made more sense. You know, if the baggage man had demonstrated that he was picking a lock to, you know, to to yeah, look inside. Yeah, I thought he had already. Well, I guess you're right because he hadn't killed anybody at that point. Yeah. If the bag, if the baggage brain, man so. was picking locks just to look in people's stuff or maybe steal a few things, then the then the monster could kill him. Then it can pick a lock. Then we demonstrate it's absorbing and using skills. Mm, so that's why yeah. it's a bad because it just could have been a good. But yeah. no, we have this Honestly, ice man. Look like it needed this ice man from a time human, before locks. Human locks primitive. It's like somebody yeah. needed to go back to the. Uh, somebody really fucked it up in the editing. It looks like you know, <laughs> like they had yeah. one scene follow another scene. You know that should have been swapped around. Yeah, he should have killed someone with lock picking skills, like maybe a spy, and then hmm. he can pick locks. Yeah, you know? let's well, utilize his power super- set. Yeah, sequence the uh, baggage man death first, uh, and then yeah, they basically just splice that scene afterwards with picking the lock. It would have made more sense. Yeah, so that's my first bet. Now, Brian, you said you don't have any bads, but uh, you know, if one does come to mind, uh, um, feel free to interject. I guess this will just between me and John, but uh, you know, you're always welcome to chime they- in. Um. <laughs> uh, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Really working on, really doing that Foley work. So, John, what's your next bad? Um. Well, I you know I, I kind of mentioned it before in the goods, but just really an overall lack of exploration in that concept of absorbing brains. And because um, I mean, you don't really see. Like when he absorbs Natasha, the spy, which again, the spy thing, it's it's kind of funny because it's like a James Bond reference, but it's also very tacked on. I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, and you don't really see, um, for example, like that skill set really being utilized by the, the monster. Um, I guess it's really hard to tell that this thing is a hive mind of sorts of all these people on this train. Um, even though that is supposed to be the, you know, central point of the, what the rules of this monster are supposed to be. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It has an interesting concept, but it it's, doesn't seem, uh, they it should be script around following the rules consistently, you know? Yeah. It's like, let's get, let's say it has some abilities. So what are we going to do to demonstrate these abilities? Well, fuck off, man. You're starting, you're starting to sound like an American with all your thinking. Yeah. It's um, I don't I don't know yeah because he should just, have talked with people like he should have talked to people using knowledge of previous victims like you know Jacob remember at the academy you said that you would be blah 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 well remember blah 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 and he's like how do you know that he goes I know all about you like use knowledge from people that he killed I know all about you Jacob <laughs> yes. I know about what you did to your mother <laughs> that night. You're going to what? let you're you're going to let you me. Don't we? <laughs> you, 
You know we watched that movie series together that I'm so embarrassed about? Oh, my God. Listen, you're going to let me go through this, or I'm going to tell everyone your Netflix password. <laughs> I'll tell them your browser history. <laughs> I'm going to tell them about those, exper- about those times you experimented in college. <laughs> Think of the scandal. I only was in science. I was only in one science class. <laughs> just did a few experiments. <laughs> Not that kind of experimenting. You know, I'm talking about the experiments with Jeremy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, he was my lab partner in science class. Like, yeah. what's the big deal? <laughs> uh. Okay, you know what? I I thought of something. I thought I thought of something. Okay, actually, I thought. Okay, um, yeah. So it's it's like the monster you find out is from space, right? Yeah. An alien from space. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, remember when he the the priest draws the chalk? He like as to prove that it's like the devil. Oh he, yeah. Like, uh, draws with the chalk. Uh, he tries to draw the cross on the box, and he it doesn't draw. Yeah, because d- you like, know demons reject chalk of God. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't a demon; it was an alien. So what's that about? Yeah. That's a real fucking bad. That's why What's I wrote it down. That? That's why I wrote it down in my notes as a demon because we have already we have already been led to believe, you know, since the chalk of God will not allow a crucifix to be drawn upon this, it's not even on the alien skin or the box. It's a tarp that's over the box that's that's encasing the alien. Well, okay, and part well, two of that part two is uh, later on when they like he the dude goes to Christopher Lee. He's like, um, I examined the chalk and the chalk was real. How do you explain that? And Christopher Lee, like, the first thing he goes to is like, uh, oh, it must have been a mass hallucination. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure, could, couldn't there be some he, little bit more mundane explanation? Yeah, he like, swa- I don't like, know. Po- like, sleight of hand. He could have swapped the chalk. Yeah, sleight of hand. He just chalk. gets, like, a rubber, a rubber chalk, There's and boom, it doesn't. About a thousand different mm. ways a magician could produce that effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's mass hallucination. That's what you jump to? I don't well, think so. And he's not showing the least bit curiosity for it being an anthropologist, you know. <laughs> like maybe wanting to explore re- that further. Not a lot of lo- not a lot of thought was put into that particular. One. I don't know, that. Yeah, that well, whole thing is pretty weird. It's pretty. It's pretty yeah. funny. It seems like a, I don't know. Well, a script yeah. writer just forgot the, about I, that. I, yeah. I guess those televangelists were right that God hates illegal aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Must well, it, it does feel like movies are go-to proof. <laughs> it does feel like the script, kind of for the second half of this movie, was like when the the writer like took mushrooms when he finished the script for the movie. You know, <laughs> like start off one way, yeah. and then like I don't know when he came back to the writer's table. It's like after he like you know maybe took like an eighth of mushrooms, and then this is where what came out. So then it kind of changed to aliens. You know. <laughs> Well, they knew they weren't writing yeah. Shakespeare, so they they were having <laughs> the that ancient aliens guy like that meme come up right there, and his hair's all just both everywhere. <laughs> it's like let's make it like the thing. Oh, so we're going to recreate the scene from the thing where people think it's a it's a demon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that wasn't in the move. That wasn't they in do the move. That a, was a they trick do question. Have a little bit of a, they do have a little bit of a thing scene. Where they go around like checking people's eyes. It's actually a pretty cool scene. Oh yeah, yeah. It, of course it, it does. Of course, like, they, they don't yeah. right, and they don't actually and they don't and like they it doesn't actually work. Yeah. But then later on, they're like, oh, we did it in the light, but we didn't do it in yeah. the dark. It, and that's like yeah, it does occasionally reference the material it's basing its entire plot off of. It does occasionally remember what it's trying to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty classic, and, uh, yeah. pretty classic uh, type of story. It just, it gets pretty bonkers, but, um, but I don't know. It, it's, it's still, um, but it, it, it's fun though. It's still fun. That's kind of what you want from a movie like this. You kind of want bonkers. You want yeah. a little bit of bonkers. It, it, you know, in some ways, it's like, eh, it's not totally a bad either. I think when, you know, when, Telly, when Telly Savalas appears, take it for I, what it I, is. Think, yeah. I think that's the that's the max bonkers yeah. that you get. Yeah, I don't <laughs> mind bonkers, but when you when you clearly stop caring about the pl- of, about your movie and it becomes evident, that's when I get a little annoyed. Yeah. It's like, why am I supposed to care about the movie when you clearly don't? Yeah. Well... Yeah, for sure. And, and like sometimes there is a point too. I, I'd have to agree uh, where that lack of sincerity does start to weigh on you a bit. Like, I don't know. It's um, yeah. Like you can be silly and slapstick, but still have intent, you know? Yeah. Like Zombievers. If you haven't seen Zombievers, it's a movie that, you know, just from the title sounds like it should be a really fucking dumb, awful movie. And it is dumb. But it is brilliantly dumb. Like yeah. they know they're making a dumb, goofy still, movie, I guess and you can like, tell it's still well everyone's having out, a ton of know? fun doing it. And yeah. yes, they actually make a lot of it make sense. Like there's consistency in what they do. It's right. not like oh, the zombievers are suddenly aliens, and now they're actually fallen angels from God. Like no, they're just zombie beavers, so they're going to do zombie shit as beavers. <laughs> so. You know, as long as you remember the plot and you mm-hmm. stick with it, you can take like any premise in the world and rock it. But you can have the best premise, but if you forget what you're doing or you it's clear you don't care by what you're doing, you can diminish it. And that happened a lot to me in this. Like it's like you got some nice spectacle, but there's no like there's little reason for a lot of the spectacle. Like, oh, yeah, the alien can absorb powers, but he doesn't do anything with it. He absorbs knowledge, doesn't do anything with it, though. Yeah, not take. Um, well, yeah, I guess it's a lot of uh, lot of Chekhov's guns just being left on the table, really. <laughs> yeah. It's Chekhov's armory. Mm. Yeah, I think it just didn't really occur to them that that would be... Uh... Like to go that kind <laughs> to, of to like, use the things you mention as the premise of your movie. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like yeah, you know. I, th- I think I think happen, the point yeah, of it was just that like uh, he's losing he, the plot. You know, the, it was uh, just it was just essentially the motive for what the alien was doing. Yeah, and they didn't really think about it much deeply beyond that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really. I didn't, I don't know if it, that would have really improved the movie for me if they like kind of inserted that kind of like little cutesy clever stuff. Like, oh, he's got spy knowledge. I don't know, that doesn't really, I feel like that's not the draw of the movie, for me. Yeah, Yeah, like if he took the, I, the, the woman's spy tools and he used them to observe the people in the car, or, you know, try to make contact outside of the train. More of a, becomes yes, more of a Bond I villain. <laughs> I don't really care, I don't really care about that, yeah, I just want him to like, just generally shamble around, be creepy, you know, he he's in the, the, the police detective for like half yeah. the movie. Just kind of look creepy as that dude. Well, that's and fine. Meanwhile, everybody's investigating, and that—that's what you want. That's fine, but then you don't. Yeah. Then you just don't insert the whole he absorbs knowledge and shit. Just make him a monster that kills people. 
that's fine too. Yeah. You can do that and it's fine. But if you add the extra things like, oh, he has these amazing powers, we're just not going to show them or use them at all. Then why bother mentioning them? Like if he's a monster, kinda, if he's a caveman that chokes people, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of novel. I like I like the idea that the alien is just apparently his, his goal is just to like construct a spaceship. Apparently, everybody's kind of brain is like reading Braille or something. <laughs> well, then he could just, just like he could grab people and threaten them. Like you make ship, or I crush. Well, that would have been pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yes, that would have been silly. <laughs> Thank God this movie didn't get silly. It, 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 it's, uh, you know, I think it walked the line pretty well between uh, being B-movie, but, you know, still like a general kind of serious tone-ish. It, w- it was serious. Like, it definitely had enough seriousness to where I think it wasn't intended to be totally comical. So, but, it you know, it, was, ha- it had you know, more it, jokes than I see in... Uh, well, you know, it's not. And a the jokes movie, were dry. But, I mean, the the jokes weren't like the jokes didn't feel like out of place. They, yeah, they were yeah. dry and they were kind of like subtle. Like it wasn't re- like it's not like the movie was not jokey at all. The movie is like it's it's pretty serious. It's just it's just kind of you know it's just a little bit exaggerated. That's yeah. All. I think uh, yeah. Let's put this like there's there's like there a couple were, jokes yeah. in it, but it's more of like sometimes the characters kind of uh, they're. Uh, I feel like they're a little bit exaggerated, but in for right. in an intentional way, you know. Like uh, uh, Christopher Lee, I think you know the way his character first starts off. He's like particularly really upping the ante of how obnoxious he is, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, John, is it your? I think it's your turn because I went on a little bit of a rant. So, um, yes. Um... You know, I don't know if I really got anything else I can really point out. I mean, I I, I was kind of with you on that, Mike. I just uh, just some stuff about like, yeah, with the alien powers. I feel like not being explored when you're introducing it, um, so that wasn't followed up a lot. I think that was kind of my main thing with it, but um, I don't think I really got anything else that stood out to me on that. Um, is it bad? So, well. I guess I can uh, go with my bads then. Uh, the dubbing and the cuts. Like, it just seemed like there was one point where Christopher Lee was actually about to speak, like his mouth is opening, and then it just, like, it just makes, like, a best sound like an axe striking. But <laughs> then then the guy begins swinging the axe, and also Lee, Lee doesn't speak or have anything while his mouth is moving. Then it turns out, oh, yeah, because they just dubbed everything afterwards, which... Just sounds arduous. It's just but, like watching a Godzilla movie, right? That's that's what they did in the Spanish movies and Italian movies, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, no, just like the the editing, I found was some very drastic cuts in places. That's uh, just kind of like a typical older movie thing. Yeah. Or older like genre movie. I'm gonna say it's a critical bad, but it was still not a good. Mm-hmm. Uh, another bad that I put down was uh, that's some very lazy axe work. Like the guy cutting open the chain. It just looks like he's giving the. He just looks like he's tapping the chain instead of whacking it with an axe. Mm. I don't remember that. Yeah, because when Christopher Lee throws the key out to be a saucy bitch, that's when the guy's just like, "Oh, I'll show you." And then he tells the uh, one of the cargo men to uh, chop the chain with an axe. But when he does it, he takes like these little little quarter swings. <laughs> 
Like he's chiseling the chain instead of like, you know, trying to smash it with an axe. Yeah, it's like, all right, we got to be really careful with that prop there. Now, don't swing it too hard, okay? That thing is <laughs> you, expensive, if you, okay? So if you put a backswing on it, you'll knock the axe off the rubber handle. Yeah. Yeah, it just reminds me a little bit uh one of those movies we reviewed back for uh, the Chris Massacre and just like the play fighting uh, in that Santa movie. Oh, yeah, it was that Santa. Uh, <coughs> was it all through the house? It, it was just the. <laughs> feel like they, they have to be extra soft to make sure they're not. They're not hurting each other, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of that same way. Just like, okay, careful, man. That, that You know, we spent like $1,000 on that chain. <laughs> There's no stuntman or choreography, so we have to be really fucking careful with we'll, each other. We'll fix it in post, okay? <laughs> we'll fix it in post. We'll, we'll just try to edit out all the parts where we're like, are you okay? <laughs> so... Uh. Another one, uh, like, memory and knowledge are apparently carved into the brain rather than uh, just being born with the folds. Man, science is wild. <laughs> yeah. The brain thing again. I like the, uh, yeah, like... The, the, the brain thing is, I think that's really the funniest thing. Yeah, I, I it's not it's even. I don't even think funny. it's like... It's I mean, it's, like, it's, it's not even so much like, it doesn't bother me about the movie in any way. It's just really funny. Yeah, I, I kind of lumped that in with the good part of it. I, I liked how it's, the concept was just... Yeah, it was kind of fun just to entertain. <laughs> There's just so many smooth it's, brain jokes in there. I know, and no one mentions the koalas. Like, you know, koalas are like, I don't know if they're the only animal they had... with a smooth brain, but yeah, they do. Uh, I didn't do know you look at a koala brain, brain, it looks like kidneys. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have just think of like, A lot of brains know, are really different. <laughs> I, I always think of like, you know, if you call somebody smooth brain, you're calling them like a philistine, you know? Like, no, that's because like... Oh, yeah. You know, the wrinkle, the folds in the brain are literally what give us our intelligence. Like, you know, that's why, cro like, Corvids can have, uh, you know, smaller brains and, uh, you know, animals that have bigger brains. But they have more folds in their brain mm -hmm. than, you know, other birds. Which is why they're mm. more intelligent. Because it's the folds that make the intelligence. Because apparently, like, the folds, instead of the neurons passing all the way across the meat space, the folds allow for shortcuts. Because they're, because yeah. it's making contact. So yeah. by, by enabling faster brain processing, you allow for more intelligence, which is why a smooth brain just means that you're taking the absolutely slowest way you can to think. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently with like a, a neuroscientist about like talking about brains and it, apparently like um, they used to think that um, brain, intel, more intelligent creatures um, might have had more brain density like more dense brains not necessarily well they used to think it may be like bigger brains or heavier brains uh were, were smarter animals and that's not necessarily the case because like whales have the biggest brains but it turns out what they might haven't the even left is, the ocean the fucking dum-dums but but like, humans do ha humans actually do have like apparently i think the the, the most dense brains in, in terms of like neurons and the smarter animals seem to have denser brains i, I believe is the case mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of hmm. interesting. I think maybe, well, the folds allow for the density because instead of it just mm. being like a, a flat surface, yeah. all the folds are pushing the brain inward. So it allows for more compact thinking but in a small think space. Think like when a, you like roll up a sleeping space. bag, you know, real tight. And then you have like more surface areas around where you can maybe pack more rolled up sleeping bags, kind of, yeah. so to speak, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and the... And when you look at the rolls, like they're all folded and stuff. So yeah, and it closes in 
yeah, like you can shorten neural pathways because, you know, one end you can fold to an other. So now it's like a shorter distance between the neurons and all that. Yeah, and koalas, they're so fucking dumb. If you took a eucalyptus leaf and put it on a plate, they would not know it's food. <laughs> oh, and, and you know how they measured brain density as well? They like, um, they took some like a sample brain and they like melted it down into like a brain liquid. And they took like a sample and they measured the density of that of that sample like droplet of brain. They counted all the neurons in that and then they, you know, extrapolated from that the total amount of neurons in a brain. So they were able to like find a way to measure the amount of neurons in, um, you know, a, a typical like brain. Wow. So it's like the sperm count for the brain. Because, you know, it would you know, it would seem that's a tricky thing to do. Like, how do you measure how many neurons are in a brain? What's just what's your power level? <laughs> you use very small tweezers. It's over 9,000. <laughs> <laughs> it's over 9 fucking thousand. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my next bad. I really expected Telly Savalas to put up a better fight. Considering what a badass he was throughout most of this movie, I figured when the monk was going to make his move, like, he tears through the men, because the men are idiots. They got spooked by the priest when he was just holding up a fucking cross. So, yeah, yeah. They'd, be, they'd be bitches. He does tear through everybody. It's pretty amazing. They'd be bitches. I'd expect that. But I would expect him to be, like, you know, a little bit smarter. Because he does seem to be smarter. So I would expect him to watch how his men are being killed. And then when he realizes, oh, yeah, he looks them in the eyes and they bleed, that he would just look down or, you know, keep his eyes away from making contact. So the monster has to, you know, fight him with his bare hands rather than, you know, using his death stare like Ghost Rider. But, you know, honestly, yeah, like when, well, when he like appears in the movie and starts going crazy, I kind of expected him to take I half expected him to like just take over the movie as well. Like it's become the new main character. Yeah, he kills the priest because he, again, he fights him smart. And then the priest is just like, oh, well, I guess I need a well, smarter host. Then boom. He's, he's, ta- he's, he's, he's just, you know, he's just like for that, for that time when he appears, he's just taken such control of the movie. But, you know, I mean, you already have Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So, you know, it was probably not in the contract to have him take over the movie in the halfway point. I think, know? I think he's, he was just it under been, contract. It been interesting if that happened. Yeah. No. Telly was under contract for three movies. So I think he's just like, I'm going to show up for the weekend. Do whatever yeah, you want, probably. but that's it. That's uh, a Monday, too much star I'm power for one out. movie. It's like it's you can only be in the movie for that long, right? The movie would have exploded from star power if he'd stayed in it too long. Yeah, so I, I, I thought that, you know, his character, since his character is shown to be more cunning, more vicious, that he would put up, you know, a significant fight that the creature would actually take some damage from him because he's knowing, like, I won't make eye contact, I'll look down. And then the creature could trick him into, like, seeing his reflection in a mirror or something. Like, you know, he still he can still die. I'm not saying his character is so great that he should live to the end of the movie, but his okay. death... He could have he could have gotten taken over. Yeah, his death should be epic thing. or he should be taking over. Like, the creature's just like, oh, this guy's got a lot of intelligence. This guy's got a lot of power. This guy's good. Like, this guy's a much better host than this wacko Looney Tune god. He would have made a very good host for the uh, creature. That would have been pretty cool. Yes. Like, you know, show him that he's an intimidating presence as a human, then he's even more so as the monster. It's so many missed opportunities in this that I have to lament. And my final bad is when Christopher Lee has a shotgun to Satan's head and he's got him dead to rights. He's all lit up. He can't do his deaths there. And Satan says, wait. 
and Lee just fucking waits. You you think after he would have wanted to tempt him, like if Lee just said like, wait, you have medical knowledge from the stars? Like, tell me all about it. Like, you know, if you want to have this guy who's been an asshole throughout the movie, you don't expect him to be a hero. So you could have Lee's character just give in to the temptation and actually, you know, become this guy's new Igor. Like, tell me your secrets, master. Let us work on, you know, reshaping this world with your celestial knowledge. You know, I, I, I could believe it. A man of science having the ultimate, like, the ultimate temptation in front of him. And, you know, because he's not a man of God, he doesn't have a moral reason to reject it. Like, that would have been good. But also, it's fine if he just says no, like, you know, he found faith, or he found he found a way to temper his science with morality. You know, it's like, science without ethics is just a recipe for chaos. And then he kills the creature. Both of those are acceptable. But when he just says wait, and he's like, okay, what? And he waits for it, as the guy's clearly, like, rolling his eyes back, like, acting like a wacky arm inflatable guy to, at a car lot. And... He doesn't know he's summoning demons, but he knows he's doing something. And he didn't bother shooting him. Like, that was a fucking bitch move. He wanted to see what he was going to do. He's a scientist. <laughs> That's I, right. I he got to all see his, what he's going to do, too. <laughs> he, got all of his, he got all of his morals together. Like, he, he must die. Like, he, like, he's a threat to this world. But I want to see how this plays out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I might have waited, too. Like, what's, what is this guy? What's he going to do? just want to find out. Is this an alien dance? I can learn he's, about a foreign he's, culture. He's kind of, he, I think he's, his character is portrayed as kind of a nuanced character. Like, there's that one scene towards the beginning where, um, like, uh, the Countess accosts him for bringing the thing onto the train. He's like, oh, two men died because of you. And he's like, uh, what, did he, what did he say? It was like a, a thief. I don't care about them. Yeah. He was like, a no, thief like and a, a baggage man. And a thief and a baggage man. Do I care about them? And he, and he, yeah, and not he, as he much as he I could should. have said. He could have said, uh, "No, I don't." But instead, he said, uh, "Perhaps I don't care about them as much as I should." You know, this guy's kind of nuanced. They were trying to write him as like a little bit more nuanced, which I appreciate. Yeah, like he showed that like he was capable of a little flexibility in his world. He wasn't, he wasn't, so he wasn't really a total asshole. He just you know was a man of science, and he had no time for baggage men. Yeah. <laughs> this is the guy that would definitely be rude to waiters yeah he might be rude to waiters he doesn't kill people but he might be rude to waiters and you know he doesn't he's, he's not going to entertain your religious nonsense yeah so I, I just thought you know if this man found his convictions he didn't act on them because the monster still like just said don't shoot me and he's like okay <laughs> so that's it for my bads we can move on to the what the fucks does anybody have what the fucks because i got one. Oh, i should have saved the brain thing for that <laughs> that was the best that was the best one yeah he turns right. us into koalas <laughs> like that was that was it smooth brains <laughs> uh actually i don't think i got one <laughs> yeah, I, I use mine. I use mine already on a bad. I should have said. Mm. You've been struck by a smooth cranium. He's like, I'm gonna shake your brain, and it's gonna be like an etch a sketch, right? 
the brain cells are going to be falling out like etch and sketch. <laughs> uh, so, my what the fuck? Did the Soviet Union save the Earth from Satan and his horde? <laughs> also, why spaghetti Western music, despite being a Russian, a Russian localized film? <laughs> Shouldn't it be Russian music of, on like, the train? The runaway train, like it's like the train wagon type thing. I don't know. Well, did they have their own spaghetti westerns? But you know, since it's would it be, um, what would it be? Czarist. I don't know. Like, uh, spaghetti Easterns. Cilantro westerns <laughs> would, be the, would be the proper term. Yeah, spaghetti Easterns because it's Russian. Mm-hmm. Sickle westerns. Well, no, because no, because Sp- oh. Sp- the movie is like co-Spanish produced, <laughs> not Russian produced. Mm. I still you think know, like, like the it, music from that, it feels like it seems like they like might have had a similar you know kind of film culture to Italy. So I, don't yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, and like cowboy music, culture you know. is. Uh, comes from uh, Mexican culture, which has some influence from Spanish. I don't know. It kind of circles back around. You know? Well, Spain and Italy are like so freaking close together on the map. Yeah, yeah, and they also both they also are both doing the the silent. You know, they were dubbing they were dubbing stuff. They seem to have some similar film practices. And I mean, probably a lot of people in those times were just, uh, just heavily in, uh, influenced by Ennio Morricone as well. Yeah. yeah. So, no one, nobody's got any what the fucks? No, I used them up. <laughs> okay. I forgot we were supposed to have that. <laughs> okay, so... I had a good one, I used it. Yeah, you blew it early. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. Boo, 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 boo. I can't think of it anymore. So, now we can take it to the kill of the week. I wasn't too impressed with the way the creature killed people, especially with the, with like the, what I thought was terrible editing, but maybe it was just like a very bad print that I had where everything just looked dark and fuzzy. (laughs) So, I gotta say, my kill goes to Russia saving the world from alien takeover by derailing one of its own trains. Risking killing all the passengers, including nobles, counts, scientists, archaeologists. It's like, <laughs> no, for some reason, we didn't hear back from our uh, from our elite Cossack guy, so we're going to assume the mission is a fucking failure. Also, how did they know what was going on? Like, did anybody ever get on a telegraph and tell them, by the way, there's an alien demon on this train. It's absorbing all of our knowledge, killing everyone. And if it gets off this train... We- the world is fucked did anybody did did i space out and miss the scene where someone got no they never knew they thought it it was a war they said they thought like oh maybe it's a war yeah they got the orders from russia and the train conductors thought maybe it's war somebody put a bomb on that part of the train (laughs) how did how did the home office in russia how did the bureau the politburo get the knowledge or the suspicion that there was a national threat that required murdering everybody on the train you know i kind of glossed over that part yeah because i know they had the russian Uh, guy who says like oh yeah we're ordering the train to stop so i can board it i i didn't quite know why he got orders to board the train like did they just think like oh no one baggage a baggage man was killed so we're gonna send one of our top cops to investigate the train rather than just let it land, let it come to the station and arrest people. 
So, and then we, when they don't hear from him, they just assumed, oh no, we we lost our we lost Telly Savalas. We're fucked. This train has to go up in flames. I know. I thought somebody sent a message or something. I, I wasn't too clear on that part. Yeah. Like, yeah, so yeah, it's like for a bit you forget there's like other a lot of other people on this train that <laughs> just oblivious to what's going on. Yeah, and they were just fine with murdering all of them, but it worked. They they well, incinerated. War. I, were they carrying nitroglycerin on that fucking train? Yeah, especially for like what is essentially their fuck up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're willing to have them all pay for them writing their mistakes. But at least some of them do survive. Yes. Yeah, only because those people, they never thought the alien might derail one of the back cars and just, you know, coast along while the caboose goes up, goes over a cliff. <laughs> the The home office never anticipated that. They never had like a follow-up squad to, to follow the train to make sure no one leaves alive. Who knows? Maybe, that could have been, maybe, a, that maybe could have been a deleted. That could have been a deleted scene. Yeah, you could have ripped the ending off from uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Everyone just thinks, we're safe, and then as soon as they get off, they get Bonnie and Clyded by the fucking Kremlin. Mm -hmm. They might have thought, uh, we we don't need that scene in the movie. You can just make your own assumptions. That's a bummer ending. It should just end. Yeah, we don't need the the cleanup crew ending. Yeah, we should have the better ending where everyone just freezes in the Arctic. The train can explode, and then they look at it, and that's, that's a good ending. And then they all freeze to death walking back to the city. Oh, yeah, we'll leave the part out where they freeze to death. Definitely kind of a bummer. You know, you could have that in the credits, maybe just like some like little shots of them freezing, but maybe people don't want to see that. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing died on the way back to their home Russian, to their home city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but of course, that's what really happens. So, Brian, the what's true? What's your kill? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well, I'll just go with um, the spy lady getting uh, eye bled to death. I think that was pretty good. I like the whole eye bleeding thing. As I said, I thought that was it. Just it's just cool. It's a cool image. So cool what? Imagery. What? Okay, we need to talk about that because that's a what the fuck I missed. The implication, mm. you know, the eyes turning white. They ask about that. They never solve it, mm. but they do give an illusion when Christopher Lee sees a fish, the boiled fish with yeah, white yeah. eyes, and he says, "Oh yeah, it's white because it's been boiled." So the implication boiled. is that the eyes are boiled, and I'm just imagining it's friction caused by all the knowledge leaving the brain going through the eyes into the monster so it's heating up the eyes with with friction as the knowledge is moving through the eyes so fast it's boiling the vitriol fluid in the eyes something's hot it's absorbing the vapor that is the knowledge (laughs) sure yeah makes sense to me i don't know Mm-hmm. That that should be brain soup if it's boiling the, the knowledge out and then like the steam is coming out of the eyes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just like the friction of knowledge. You know, like how the flash should incinerate when he runs down the street. Yeah, which it does. It might have been cool if it was thermal energy. I guess as it's doing, like just the energy transfer might be that powerful that it is generating thermal energy. I don't <laughs> know, but maybe not. Brain soup is it. a good idea. That would be great. That as soon as they open it up, and then you just see like sploosh out of the skull, and he's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> that would have been pretty brain yeah. sludge. I'll yeah. be hard to do an autopsy on, but yeah. uh, might have been pretty good. I mean, you wouldn't even need the autopsy. As soon as they're on the ground, you just see the brain leaking out of the ears. Right. Yeah. I guess. I guess it was melted. Hmm. 
So, John. My scientific conclusion. <laughs> so, John, what's your kill? Um, I guess it's just multiple kills. I mean, with the uh, whatever the priest guy, you know, when he's in his final form there. Uh, and he basically kills all of Telly Savalas's men, you know, like in kind of one fell swoop out towards the end. Got a cool scene right there. Just uh, lots of faces bleeding, eyes popping. It's amazing uh, how no one could swing their swords or aim their guns because he's got a big glowing eye in the darkness. It should talk about where so he is. I, I keep feeling like this was like some kind of early inspiration with uh, for Scanners. That's what I literally feel like he's like doing the Scanners thing, but it's not mm. as well thought out or developed as it is in like Chronicles. Yeah, because the, sc- the Scanners doesn't but, require eye contact. Yeah. I haven't seen Scanners it, in a long time. But it, it seems like that sort of idea of, I'm just going to stare at you. Really, It's some kind of like my mental thing yeah. is holding you there. But. Again, they limit uh, themselves by mentioning stupid things. Like saying, oh yeah, you need eye contact with the monster. If the monster just, just looks I, at you and drains you, then that would be that would make it terrifying. Now mm. that you mention it, I just thought of another bad. All right. No scanners, brain explosions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, like clearly a bad for every their movie. Eyes are except, bleeding. Except I feel scanners. like the next logical set, you know, it could be like having their head explode, or if they want to put their most unique twist on it, you know, come back to the whole brain soup thing, you know, melts yeah. their brains, and then it's just like I don't know. Their no brain scoop, no brain soup, no brain explosions. Oh, he he melts their brain and then drinks it out their ear. Oh. That's fucking metal. <laughs> that would be cool. Nope. Yeah. No brain soup. No no brain explosions. Zero out of ten. Yeah. Movies. So <laughs> we, we missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Like you, um, you can even have but, like a you can have like a straw tongue. So oh, that like he just gets up to someone's head oh, and is like. Oh shit. <laughs> oh dude, that's nuts. Then you can <laughs> just then you can, then you can just like, make the sound of like a milkshake. milkshake. <laughs> That reminds me of the movie fucking uh, Brain Damage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Head and Lauder. With, with that brain man aside. That, um, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, it was a, yeah, it's like that brain worm thing eating people's heads and shit. Right. <laughs> Ultra low budget. <laughs> yeah. So with uh, so many mo- by the way, there's so many movies that have the word, the word brain in them. If you think about it, yeah, brain scan. There's yeah. a lot of brain oh, yeah. movies. Done that one. Brain dead, brain scan, brain damage. There's two brain deads. Uh, brain. Uh, there's more. Uh, dead of the brain. Mm-hmm. PC88 video game. So there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being done, I guess now we can take it to the rating. And I'm going to give this movie three glowing red eyes out of five. The characters are, well, there. The motivations of the monster are, you know, learn and live, but not really demonstrating the learning. And the editing, the effects, the prosthetics, they're passable. You know, Italian slash Spanish movies from the 70s are not really well made, and they really tend to rely on spectacle over competence and writing. Heck, you even look at Cemetery Man, and that's from the '90s, and it's still the same. So oh, it's it's Cemetery just Man's it's just awesome. a different breed. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, I love that movie though, Cemetery Man. Oh yeah, I, I love Cemetery Man. I enjoyed a lot of it, but I still felt like you know it's enjoyable. Delamorte, Delamore. Yeah. I 
thought it was just, you know, quite dumb in a lot of spots, but it wasn't like unforgivably dumb, just, you know, entertaining, but still like, why is he shooting people when they rise from the dead instead of just, you know, chopping their bodies up when they're being buried? I think it's meant to be allegorical. Because, you know, that relies, it depend, that relies on you being in the graveyard, not on a date, and awake. And not being, uh, you know, snuck up on. Like, your nights would be a whole lot more empty if you weren't just standing around waiting for dead people to maybe come to you in your shack and not just escape the cemetery and, you know, ravage the city. It, it just seems like his entire motive, like, everything he does seems dumb. Plus, it, uh, I also didn't like the fact that, you know, you know, there's one woman who's just like, yeah, well... I didn't like men, but then a, then a man raped me, and I kind of liked it. So you know, I think I'm straight now. That's just <laughs> like that. You what? Like this movie's made by someone who probably hates women or just thinks you know. Let's just say if the rape is good, they'll like it, and that was the move. That was like a character plot. Uh, I don't think you should take every single thing in that movie literally. <laughs> Definitely, that movie is a movie you shouldn't take too literally. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. I haven't seen I, a long time either. I enjoyed that one quite a lot. It was like a... Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that I, you know, I pay attention when people say and do things, and I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. You you, you like men now because you got raped by one and it was okay? Like, is that a rape? <laughs> I mean, I think every single character in the movie has, like, uh, character motivations that don't make sense in a normal human level. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it's there's like like there's a depravity well, to every single character. It's like it's it's not exactly a satire, but it's it's a hyper real yeah. strange strangeness movie. Yeah. And also Italian movies, at least the ones that I've seen from the show, because horror, you know, it can be a misogynistic genre in terms of like women representation. But the Italian ones are just like especially egregious. In the ones I've seen where it has women and it's just like, yeah, let's throw in like a bunch of rape jokes. Yeah, well, I mean, that is very big with like Argento, I know. Uh, Dario Argento rape jokes? stuff is kind or, of or at least like, you know, not making it seem, you know, like it's a terrible, tragic thing that happens. Yeah. It's just like a fact of life with Well, that. also like there's a lot of murders that happen in his movies and uh, definitely not, it's not exactly treated uh, with the concept of murder is not treated with reverence. It's more treated as like a fun thing to look at. Yeah, because I think uh, Castle Freak kind was of, also an Italian. Like it was like had an Italian. Like even though it was like an English cast, like Jeffrey Combs and stuff. Uh, was it? Yeah, Castle Freak. Uh, that was an Italian. Uh, think is that I, not Stuart Gordon? Oh shit! Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was Stuart Gordon. I, I with that I withdraw that Stuart one. Stuart Gordon. Oh yeah, because it, it, it did take place in Italy. Movie. It did take place in Italy, I think. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it in a while. That's why. That's why I was thinking about that because it did take place in Italy, mm. and Jeffrey Combs has like a really weird interaction with a uh, with a prostitute. <laughs> well, it's Jeffrey Combs. He has a weird interaction with like all human beings at all times. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually normal. If he has a normal interaction with somebody, that's what's weird. <laughs> it's not right. what you watch the movies for. Yeah. So. Brian, what's your rating for this movie? Oh, um, well, I, I would go four out of five, but it's a high four. It's almost a five. 
I think it's <laughs> I think it's a very entertaining movie um, from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, everything about it to me is pretty much good. Uh, from the music to the the writing to the the characters. I mean, it's overstuffed with entertaining characters. It almost has too much entertaining characters, but that's not really a problem. And um, it's just, you know, it's not quite a masterpiece. It's not quite at, like, the classic level of, like, classic horror movies, but it's just, like, for a 70s Hammer-ish kind of, like, eh, semi-exploitation, semi-kind of B-movie-ish horror movie, it's super entertaining. I think you can't do a lot better. I just thought like the Hammer films from the '60s had a bit more style, uh, yeah, it, it, like a better internal so, logic, so. so to speak. Mm. Like when someone well, shows up, like Dracula's motivations never, are always clear. I I, I never really fi- I never really find the internal logic of these movies super important in the first place. Personally, um, for the most part, unless you know, unless it's I don't know, unless it's something that cuts at the heart of the movie, I guess. But for the most part, like, little things, like, do the character motivations all make sense? It's not really the point of these movies, you know, because it's not a character. It's not a char- They're not character studies. I know. It's not like know. they say, like, oh, Dracula can fly by flapping his arms, and then he never the flies. Important, <laughs> right. The important thing is just that it's... Right. The important thing is just that it's entertaining to me, personally. Yeah, they did manage that. Like, if you, if you like seeing people with eggshells right. on their eyes lean their head back in a dark room while a, while a Spanish orchestra does a sting. But people do get entertainments from different things. Yeah. Like, it did have some spots, but, you know, I was just, I guess because it had Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it, I was spoiled on the Hammer style of their work. So seeing this complete deviation, I was just like, this this is un, this is unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a complete deviation. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So John... Because it's still just Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing running around um, fighting monsters, pretty much. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we don't get to see... Yeah, we don't get to see Peter Cushing actually do much. Like usually, he's more commanding when he's yes, when he's yes, when he's Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. But you know, knowing behind the scenes they're, that they're really more they're more they're more fighting by investigating for the most yeah. part until the end. And he's not doing much, but that's because he's grieving his wife in real life. So you know, he's there, but they're giving him as little screen yeah, time as might, possible. So that might be that might be true. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so I, I'm not going to begrudge Christopher or Peter Cushing for phoning it in because you know he, he's grieving his his beloved. Oh, he's still good in all his scenes. He just doesn't yeah. kind of do that much in the movie. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't do a lot, but when he is in, he he gives it. So Christopher Lee does a lot of the heavy lifting, though. Yeah, well, quite well, because well, he's like also like trying to keep up his friend's spirits. So, you know, Christopher mm-hmm. Lee was Christopher Lee was a five out of five in this. You know, oh, it's yeah. like, I think it's the first time I've ever seen him with a mustache. <laughs> so you know, some of the individual characters were five out of five. Savalas. I mean, he was just there. I mean, clearly he was just there because he was out of contract because he didn't demand his character do anything really much besides just menace people and drink a lot. It needs to be mentioned one more time. The, mush, the mustache content of the movie is five out of five. Oh, yes. Ten out of ten. Very good mustache content. Five, five cookie dusters out of five. So, John, what's your rating? Oh, we're going to get, uh, I guess... Three uh, smooth brains out of uh, 
three smooth brains out of five. Whoa, three smooth brains. Yes. They're worth twice as much as normal brains. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, they're perfect and malleable, you know, blank slate. Yeah, this uh, makes them so valuable. Well, you know, there's, uh, we do got a strong cast in this. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fun, even though very unevenly, very uneven and unexplored premise. But I, I don't know. I guess it's it. Uh, the pacing of the movie is pretty good. It doesn't um, it doesn't get bogged down on being too slow. Uh, sometimes with older movies that can be a problem, but I think it's not so much here. Um, it um, yeah, it definitely seems to suffer from like maybe not always establishing its rules very clearly or introducing certain things that uh, aren't really followed up on. Um, but um, I think all around, though, I think it's a pretty good watch. Um, you know, especially, yeah, if you if you like uh, Christopher Lee in particular, I think shines a lot, and Peter Gushing is always a good compliment here. Um, yeah, I think they shine pretty well, and... Um, even though some of the editing isn't all that great, uh, I've seen a lot worse, um, and I, I think the star power really carries it on here. And uh, the antagonist is—I don't know—is the crazy preacher Rasputin guy. Uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Um, it's the idea of somebody just staring really hard at somebody until their eyes bleed. It sounds really stupid, but I think it—it it was fun to watch in this. Despite my criticisms of other parts of the plot, it's still a fun watch. So, Yeah. So, that's it for the Horror Express. But we will continue to see more Christopher Lee movies and we'll see if they deliver on uh, this level or higher or lower. I mean, I'm going in blind on some of them like The Howling. So, or The Howling oh, 2. Yeah. The Howling 2, yeah. It's good. Is that it's, the one he apologized good, for? Is that, if I'm getting it mixed up. Or I do know that for that movie, when they, fu- he, again, team player, when they were doing the, uh, when they got the, they ordered the wolf costumes, but they, instead they got props from Planet of the Apes. Like someone fucked up the cargo. So when the director's just got his, the director's like almost crying, like he's got his head in his hands, like it's going to take weeks to deliver the new costumes, like because we're in like the, they're behind the fucking Iron Curtain where they're shooting on location, so they can't just go across the street to the next studio, like they have to they have to rely on on cargo shipping, so Lee is just like, wait, I've got an idea. Let's just say in order for humans to shift into werewolves, they have to ship, they have to go back generationally to when they were apes. Then the transition to, you know, the ancestors of the of the wolf, then they can shape, then they can, you know, shift forward to humans. It's like you got to you got to get back a little to tra- to shift that evolutionary branch. Like the, yeah. like the common ancestor between humans and wolves. So, you know, the caveman or the apes are just like an intermediary along the way. And apparently that saved the movie for what it was worth. (laughs) But there's another story about that. But we'll be saving that for that episode. So I'm looking forward to, uh, I don't know what the movie's like. I do know I saw a screenshot of it and he's got those fucking Kanye West Venetian blind glasses on. And I'm like, why even? So... So, 
So that is, you know, that guy, that guy's a fucking team player. That guy's like the Vincent Price, like say yes to any role. Or at least once you've committed to a role, don't bow out, don't half-ass it. Except when he did a Hammer movie, like one of the last Dracula movies, the dialogue was so bad. He said, I'm only going to show up as a, uh, as a, as a token of friendship because, uh, you know, the director is like a long, a longstanding friend of mine and I, I owe my career to him, but I'm not going to say any of this stupid dialogue because it's just too dumb. <laughs> so he was mute through the entire movie. Beautiful. He just gives the least air. And that was all he gave. And I'm just like, <laughs> so he's not the half-assing least it. Air. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that is needed. It was the least he could do. All, right. <laughs> all that was leaded. <laughs> and now we went, now we must leave you. But <laughs> oh, it's funny how you can work that into so many ways. Yep. <laughs> so Brian, where can people find you? Oh, I make a web comic, Flipside, at flipsidecomics.com. Check it out. Yeah, I'm a longtime reader of the comic. Uh, it's why I reached out to him in the first place. I've been a fan of Thank it you. for years. And, uh, you know, good good style, likable characters. Thank uh, you very much. Like, yeah, you, you, you do a great job, man. Keep up the good work. I try. Thank you. And also, every now and then, he uh, does a little fourth wall break with one of his characters doing uh, movie reviews, including some horror movies. So I did do that. Yeah, it was pretty fun. That was like the big reason I decided to contact you rather than just like continue reading you like the rest of the other web comics I read. I'm just like, whoa, unrepentant horror head. I, I see. <laughs> I, I may be able to, to get a rapport going on with this guy. I did tip my hat a little bit with that. <laughs> and we're grateful. Because, you know, you've been a pretty good guest and we look forward to seeing what uh, what you'll be doing next on this show. All right. Me too. All right. So. Thank you very much. John, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'll be mostly just creeping around on Instagram. I'll be posting uh, a lot of my Fireflow content and occasionally uh, I like to get into some scale mail and chain mail. But uh, you can find me at King, K-I-N-G dot Mickey, M-I-C-K-E-Y, like Mickey Mouse, uh, dot V. All right. And as for me, well, you have all the links in this podcast. So that's all the stuff I'm doing. I've also got a Twitch channel. I haven't done much with it, except when we uh, aired some of our old episodes with some uh, extra content. If you want to see more of those, hit me up. Let me know what uh, episodes you'd like to see a little bit uh, more on. And... If you want to see me play video games, I'm downloading a shit ton of horror movies. So, you know, you just let me know what you'd like me to uh, play. And we'll see if we can get that going on. Use like You know, I want to use the, the Twitch stream for, you know, some community engagement. So, I'm here. Engage me. Ask me, nice. ask me to I, do stuff. I'll I, be your monkey. I have a Twitch stream. I have a Twitch channel as well. Oh, so, uh, you're going to tell I, us? I just stream. Yeah, Flipsider99. Flip on Twitch, nice. Flipsider ninety nine. I also and I'd streamed a bunch of uh, PS one and PS two horror games over October. Oh, like oh, Kadelka. Was Kadelka horror? Yeah. yeah, I did do. I did do Kildelka, but that I did that like a few years ago. Oh, I streamed that. Yeah, I don't it's, think I got like to that. A, I, I only got in on it on uh, Shadow Hearts, but I thought it was such an uh, excellent premise for a movie. I mean, for a yeah, game. I like it. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see more from the Shadow Hearts. It'd be good to see that now. Uh, it'd be good to see them back. 
They keep reviving old play. games, so. I've only played Kodalka. I need to play the rest of the Shadow Hearts games sometimes. They seem cool. Oh, it's a great. Uh, John, are you familiar with the Shadow Hearts? Uh. No, not really. Yeah. Okay, the combat system is basically a spinning wheel, and you have to you have to nail it in like this tiny little sliver if you want to get critical hits. Oh, okay. Well, but there's also it's like a little pie chart thing. Yeah. In Kodelka, it's a strategy RPG. Huh. Except that you move around in Resident Evil type world. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Pretty, pretty wild. I definitely got to give it a shot. You know, if you want us to play Kudelka on the show, fucking hit us up. If you want us to play Sweet Home, because we play, we covered that movie, and apparently I, the NES game was fucking like groundbreaking. I streamed that this year too. That game's really good as well. Really good. Wow. Yeah, it's a shame that it didn't get officially translated, but I guess they thought it was like like too scary for an NES game. Yeah, there's a good fan translation of it. All right, so. We'll be back next week, but until then, I'm Mike. And I'm John. And I'm special guest star Brian Volk. And thank you for joining us for January Lee on The Graveyard Shift. The Graveyard Shift is a Strange Biscuits production. Visit our website at strangebiscuits.com slash graveyardshift to hear all of our previous episodes. Subscribe to us, rate, and review us on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to check out our Instagram at the Graveyard Shift Pod, as well as our Facebook at the Graveyard Shift Pod. Our Twitter is GS underscore horror pod. And if you wish to support the show financially, visit us at patreon.com slash graveyard. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and get bonus content. The theme for the Graveyard Shift is As Brutal As It Ever Was by Technoaxe. Visit their website at technoaxe.com and their YouTube channel for more royalty-free music. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay spooky. (laughs) 